Hello and welcome to Deep Dive. My guest today is Marjorie Anderson, founder of Community by Association and an expert contributor and friend to AMI magazine. Marjorie, good to have you back on Deep Dive. Thanks for having me. Now, we're going to talk about uh, diversity, equity and inclusion and specifically what that means around community and membership. But let's just start uh, by reaffirming what we mean by diversity equity and inclusion and uh, why it's important. Yeah, so diversity, equity and inclusion is um, kind of a three part dance, I like to say. Uh, Diversity is ensuring that there is representation around the table. Um, Equity is ensuring that that representation is treated um, no different than or given opportunities um, that are the same as as everyone else at that table. And inclusion is ensuring that voices are heard and and people are able to participate in ways that um, allow them to bring their authentic selves uh, to that table. Right. So it's it's I, I liken it to having a party. Right. Diversity is inviting a bunch of your friends who have different backgrounds, different abilities, those types of things. Um, Equity is making sure that everyone can enter the party, right? So is there a ramp for those who may have, um, may need wheelchair access? Is there, um, you know, is there a way for people to communicate who may be hearing impaired? Is there um, a way for um, people of color to feel like there's a sense of belonging there? And then inclusion is ensuring that um, those folks uh, feel like they're a part of, of, of that party? Do they feel like they belong or, or do they feel like they're kind of sticking out and like they're not quite feeling very comfortable in that space? And, and, and all of that is important because it makes sure that we are providing representation and allowing for space for that representation to um, come forward when we are creating content, when we are looking for speakers, when we are uh, creating experiences and spaces for the people who who come from very, very different sorts of experiences and backgrounds, um, regardless of what we may think that experience needs to look like. And have I got this right? Equity is not quite the same as equality, is it? Equity is about making sure people have access on a on, on an equal footing depending on where they're coming from to start with correct right it's meeting people where they are and ensuring that they have the same tools um, resources and information to be just as successful as the next person okay and do those three qualities carry the same weight are they all as equally as important as the other i ask this because um, an international association might say well we're diverse we're an international association, we have members all over the world, Um, that's that box ticked. It seems to me more important, perhaps, uh, from a moral perspective at least, that those members are treated equitably and inclusively. What's your take on that? Yeah, I 100% agree with that. I think a lot of, uh, first off, I think diversity, equity and inclusion, none of those three can exist without the other. Um, I think in order for you to really say, you know, hey, we've, we've really kind of honed in on diversity. Yeah, you may have honed in on diversity, but what, how do those people feel when they're 
when they're engaging with you? Do they feel like they have a seat at the table? Do they feel like their voice is heard? Do they feel included in conversations where it makes sense to include those folks? So um, a lot of, I think, organizations, um, especially international organizations and associations, get stuck at diversity. Um, we're a global organization. We have people from all over the world um, and full stop. Right. But mm. that is not the full experience of of members. Um, when you think about what diversity actually means, it's not just about people all over the world. Diversity is also um, people of color. Diversity is also those who are neurodivergent. Uh, diversity is also um, people who um, have different cultures and recognize different cultures and operate in those in, in those cultures. It's 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 so many things. Um, so getting stuck at hey, we're an international organization. We're diverse is. It's, it's women, it's, it's, you know, LGBTQ people. It's, it's, there's so much that goes into that diversity. And then the equity and inclusion part is making sure that they feel like they are, they are treated equitably and they have the same sorts of opportunities as others and that they're included in um, decisions that are being made or in experiences and their input is being um, included in experiences that are being created and fostered through it through an organization. So for instance, if you think about when you're planning an event, um, yes, you've got people coming from all over the world, but at the end of the day, um, do those folks who might be um, might have some sort of disability, is it easy for them to be able to access the conference rooms, to get into the conference center, to be able to um, get to their hotel? Is it, um, what does your speaker lineup look like? Is it, you know, all one type of person from a single demographic or are you looking at the voices of women or people of color or you know lgbtq folks or neurodivergent folks or women what, what does that makeup look like so you know it's it's the the very intentionality of really thinking about okay who 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 do we represent as, as an organization and how do we make sure that we are fully representing them in everything that we do uh, and there's a there's an element of chicken and egg here isn't there because I've been going to conferences for years now and it's, it's started to, to strike me more recently that a lot of the cultural programming and the social programming around international conferences is, well, for starters, it, it, a lot of it is alcohol fueled, right? And I've often thought this is quite culturally insensitive. You know, you, you're setting up a networking scenario here that is, for example, basically based on people getting semi-drunk and being able to have a good time talking to each other. A lot of people don't drink for lots of various reasons. So that's just one of those kind of subtle or not so subtle examples of how associations can get it wrong, isn't it? Absolutely. It's absolutely one of those things. And, and to your point, that's the first thing that we think about when we're planning our, well, when folks are planning events is, you know, how do we loosen up the crowd, right? How do we get them talking to one another? We, I know everyone loves drinks and food and maybe not everyone loves drinks and food. So maybe, maybe what a good networking experience looks like is, um, you know, thinking about those who don't thrive well in those situations and providing them um, a situation where they can be in a more quiet setting um, and, and talk to one another and talk to others. Maybe thinking about, you know, what does, 
what does networking really mean for our for for our attendees and and asking them what what would that look like for you what what makes sense for you how does that experience need to develop for you and so you know instead of us thinking about uh, i think one of the things that we need to do is stop thinking about our our norms when it comes to things like that and start really digging into what is the experience that people want to have um, a networking event could be uh, ensuring that, you know, there's a bus tour in the city, right, that you're mm-hmm. holding your event and allowing people to, you know, go on this tour and see the sites and, and connect with one another that way. Maybe it looks like, um, you know, a game night or something like that, but it doesn't have to be alcohol fueled to your point um, with loud music and lots of dancing just to get people connected. Mm-hmm. Um, and so really thinking about and understanding what that experience needs to look like for people for the people who are going to be engaging in it is what inclusion looks like, right? So making sure that you're you're including their voices, their opinions, um, and, and the things that they want in order to create the experiences that will help them thrive and feel comfortable in those situations and feel like they belong is, is key. Yeah, you mentioned the word intentionality uh, there, and this brings me to, to my next question really in that, a lot of the conversation, or at least a lot of the headlines, put it that way, around DEI often seems to evolve around uh, gender and, and race, uh, and you can see where that's that's important. But disability often gets less of a look in. Um, does this suggest we're guilty of bringing our own biases to the conversation about DEI sometimes? I think it can. I also think it's a it's a, a larger indicator of the fact that again we we often get stuck at the diversity piece of it. And we don't Mm. think broadly enough about what diversity actually means. Um, And so um, we, we tend to kind of pick for lack of a better phrase, the big two, gender and race. And we're like, Mm. okay, let's make sure that there's representation and that um, we've, we've tackled those two. But then even when it comes down to things like website design, we, we, we tend to not think about those who might be visually impaired or when we're creating content, those who um, may be hearing impaired is the font big enough is, is the background and the color the the proper background and color for those who may not be able to see that see that information that well because of a visual impairment um when we're designing uh, maybe our our event experiences and the activities around those events does your community service day as part of your annual conference um ensure that people with disabilities are able to participate whether that be um a physical disability or um neurodiversity so um those types of things are the things that we really need to be thinking a little bit deeper about when we're thinking about um, the experiences, the content, the information, the um, opportunities that we're presenting uh, our members uh, so that we can ensure that we are providing experiences that are inclusive and that don't polarize, right? Because no one wants to feel tokenized. No one wants to feel like mm. the only reason we're visiting the Civil Rights Museum is because we've got um, <laughs> a Black person on the panel, right? So uh, mm. let's let's make sure that we're 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 thinking about the holistic experience, what that means, who's who's going to be included in that experience. And that has to be top of mind every time for everything that we do until it becomes second nature. Um, 
we have to be expansive in our thinking about what diversity looks like, um, who's included in that conversation, who's included in those experiences and how we start to mold them um, mm. until it just becomes like a muscle that we build over time. A muscle that we build over time. I was going to, I was going to ask, is this something that uh, you're a community manager, obviously uh, you build DEI into your work. Is it a full-time job? Do, 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 do international associations need to think about employing a, somebody who just does this all the time i i think so i think um i think the miss is that we think about deni as a separate program from everything else that you do as an association okay. and i think that if you're just starting it needs to be why because programs get strategies they get budgets they get resources and so if you've got someone who's able to say, you know, here's the impact that it's going to have on our association. If we don't focus on this stuff, if we do, here's the impact. And this is what we need to do in order to kind of right the ship. Um, then then it's not no one's thinking about it. Right. No one's thinking about it full time anyway. And then mm. once you start to integrate those practices into your overall business, that's not where that work stops it has to continue and it has to continuously evolve, especially as, you know, new issues pop up, whether they be, whether they be civil rights issues or whether they be um, issues with disabilities or whether they be, you know, whatever those issues look like, those things need to continue to be top of mind of someone within the organization and keep the organization honest in terms of, are we addressing this properly? properly? Are we not? Are we listening to the voice of our members? If we're not, then we need to be doing something about it internally is staff being supported the way they need to be supported? If not, what do we need to do to, to, to correct that? So there has to be someone thinking about this in my mind all of the time. Um, otherwise, it's one of those things that I think that associations, not in, not I don't think intentionally, and I don't think with any malice, will say, we've done it, check the box and move on, right? And then it doesn't evolve and then the association doesn't evolve and then experiences don't evolve. And then you wonder in five years why you're back in at square one. So mm -hmm. I, I do think it has to, there has to be some, there's some merit to having someone being focused on this 100% of the time. And then maybe um, at a volunteer level, you could have Chap you know, chapters, uh, different regional chapters with a with a DEI um, volunteer, perhaps. Because I'm thinking, not every country, not every region has the same the same issues when it comes to DEI, and doesn't necessarily read across the Atlantic or from Europe. Doesn't necessarily read across into Asia. So maybe to really ensure members feel included, you you have to sort of spread it out even more and have DEI officers at a sort of volunteer chapter level, perhaps. Yeah, absolutely. Um, definitely thinking about it from like that chapter or regional um, perspective, because to your point, you know, racism may not be an issue in some parts of the world, but classism is. And so then how do you help those parts of the world address that? And I think it's on the, I think it's on the response, it's the responsibility of the association to ensure that those 
chapters have the tools to be able to stand something like that up right some of them will do it on their own because they understand like this is the thing that we have to do but then how do you support them do you support them with resources do you support them with ongoing training those types of things as part of their leadership development um that that stuff is again still something that we have to make sure that we're keeping top of mind and again who's going to be responsible for that who's going to be responsible for strategizing around that working with other business units to ensure that those things happen so um you know it does it it permeates everything that an association does um, which again is why it is so important that someone's thinking about it on a full-time basis otherwise it will get lost so i'm getting i'm getting from you intentionality, uh, making sure your association is properly supported and has the resources to do this. In terms of, uh, because obviously we're, we're interested in meetings on this title, uh, in terms of meetings and conferences, what are some practical examples where people can really make a difference quite quickly? Yeah, so this is, this is really um, something that you can really kind of think of when you're thinking about your meetings. Um, think about people who um, might be hearing impaired, right? So they may have trouble with background noise. They may have trouble with just hearing things uh, very clearly in general. Why not have headsets at your meeting for those who might be hearing impaired? Um, if you've got a packed area and it's full of chairs, and you've got someone who might be relying on a wheelchair or crutches or some other form of um, mobility assistance to get around. Ensure that the front of your of your uh, meeting space is clear for those people to be able to have somewhere to to sit, so that they're not stuck in the back by the wall because the place is full or that the aisles are clear so that they're able to utilize those aisles and wide enough um, to, to be able to participate in watching a keynote or something like that. If, um, if you might have people who might get overstimulated or are dealing with neurodiversity, um, maybe someone attending your conference is on the autism spectrum, allow for quiet rooms for them to be able to get away and still be able to participate, but kind of allow them to um, kind of come down from the stimulation that they're feeling around them from the excitement of, of, of an event. Or ensure that um, you don't have flashy uh, lights at an event for someone who might be, but you don't know, suffering from um, epilepsy and those mm. flashing lights can cause seizures, right? So thinking mm. about those types of things is so easy and it's so easy to quickly implement as you're planning your meetings. You can still create enjoyable experiences for the whole, but then remembering that not everyone is able-bodied or not everyone is, um, you know, has the same capabilities when they're coming into a space is is absolutely important. Um, make sure that if you've got people of color who are attending, make sure that they um, feel safe to bring their whole selves to this event, right? So that they see some representation in mm. maybe the speaker lineup or you know the people who are planning the event. Um, make every help make an effort to help everyone feel welcome as much as you possibly can. Again, without singling out or tokenizing them, um, mm. but ensuring that the experience is holistically good for those who are in attendance um, instead of focusing on who your quote-unquote target demographic is for the for the event. And I guess it's important for associations to 
communicate what they're doing. Because when I was, I mentioned earlier about chicken and egg, I didn't quite finish that train of thought. But what I was thinking is a lot of people might be deterred from going to a conference because they have an idea of what a conference is going to look like and feel like. And for good reason, they may have gone in the past and hated every minute of it because they didn't feel included. So if associations are are going to make some of the um, modifications you've spoken about just now, they really need to communicate that in some way, don't they? And make make sure that a potentially wider audience knows that they are being deliberate about this and they're affecting positive change. Absolutely. Um, the way that I think about it is this, like we are, and, and rightfully so, um, associations when they're planning meetings are very meticulous about these are the precautions that we're going to take to keep you safe from COVID. And that is absolutely necessary. It is also absolutely necessary to know your, to let your attendees know that here are the things that we are going to do to ensure that you have an enjoyable experience. If you have um, hearing impairment, we will be providing you headphones. If you are um, in a wheelchair or require mobility assistance, here is how we will help you navigate the conference hall. You know, those types of things, right? So making sure that you communicate that is just as important as communicating um, your COVID precautions, because then people understand that, you know what, this is nothing that I have to worry about. I don't have to worry about where am I going to if I'm a mother and I am I'm, I'm, and I'm breastfeeding. I don't have to worry about where I can go to to take care of that while I'm at the conference because I know that there's going to be a room there for 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 mothers who are experiencing that. Um, mm. If I am a um, person who is visually impaired, I don't have to worry about um, navigating around um, the, the the conference center because I know that there's going to be some assistance for me. So, you know, all of those things will help kind of dispel any anxiety that that conference goers and meeting goers will have around the experience that they're going to to have as part of your meeting. And that's really going to be key because not only does it um, help you keep, again, those things in mind, but it helps them understand that you see them, you understand that they have those challenges and you're 100% committed to addressing them, not just now, but on an ongoing basis. And that is so key that you have to be consistent with these efforts. You can't do it once and be like, yay, we, we did it. We're great. It has to be consistent in your live experiences and your virtual experiences and whatever way you're engaging people, it has to be something that's across the board. How important is it to codify all this, to, to have some written guidelines or, or maybe even a, uh, an, an organisational uh, sort of mission statement? Or is, is it important to get this stuff written down? I think it is. I think it's important to ensure that, that, that the protocols and the commitment that you're making to um, in, ensuring a more diverse um, equitable and inclusive um, organization, both internally and externally, have to be written down, right? Um, not for for anything else other than it makes it real, but then it also it also solidifies your commitment as an association to doing the right things by your members. Um, and I, I think also when you think about um, how things change, right? It, it, it's it's easy for other parts of your business to adopt those policies um, and to adopt um, 
and to adopt uh, the ways of working as it pertains to DEI um, if it's written down. Um, if someone changes leadership, if you start a new initiative, it sets the expectation that this is this is how we operate. This is how we're going to continue to operate, and this is the expectation that we have for all of those who who are working to move our organization forward. So um, it's I think it's very important to have that stuff documented when there are changes to it. Make sure that you updated. Uh, keep your legal department uh, close so that they can <laughs> advise you on you know specific laws and regulations that you absolutely one hundred percent have to be compliant with, and um, and and just. It, it helps keep it top of mind. Um, mm. and, and I think that's the key is just to make sure that, again, going back to that intentionality, we, we, we are intentionally creating policies that create inclusion and equity um, across our membership. Um, and and, and we're, we're committed to those, to those policies and procedures. Just, just one, one other thought. Uh, the, um, the great sort of shift to to online platforms and um, event apps uh, that we've seen in the last two two years accelerated over the last two years. Have you seen any evidence that that they are taking DEI into account? Uh, I guess specifically around well, it could be cultural issues as well, but I'm, I'm thinking more um, disability and, and impairments of, of one kind, one sort or another. That to me seems to be this is happening very very quickly. This kind of uh, adoption of apps and, and online platforms, but I, I'm not sure I've seen much evidence of thinking about disability o- on any of them. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that there's, um, you know, with the, with the rapid progression and development of technology, I don't think that a lot of them are. I think what is happening is that um, the apps are being developed in order to deliver a service to organizations, and then the organizations are responsible for ensuring any sort of um, DE&I um, experience uh, to some extent within the app. Um, so that comes with branding and stuff like that. Um, but, and, and you know, explaining what will be done within the app um, at an event or, or what have you. But there are some out there that I think um, have been around for a while that are making enhancements to those experiences. How quickly those enhancements are coming, I'm I'm not so sure. But um, you know, I think for those who've been around for a while, um, they see the opportunity and they see they see the um, the gap, and so they're working to kind of close that uh, from a DEI perspective. For those who are newer um, to 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 creating this sort of technology and these apps. Um, I think it's less of a concentration up front because they're trying to get something out to the market, mm. uh, quite frankly, to to um, to kind of capture that lightning in a bottle while it's striking while the iron's still hot, as so they speak, um, mm. when it comes to that virtual engagement piece. But um, I think eventually anybody who's putting anything out in a, in a digital manner is going to have to address DE&I, especially... Um, from a disabilities capability um, to ensure that people are able to use it. Um, not everyone can see all the letters and and hear hear things clearly. So, how are we ensuring that we're we're being a little bit more inclusive in that respect? Something that they're going to have to think about long term. Yeah, and just 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 finally, uh, Marjorie, where where are we on this on this journey? Um, I think of the comparable big sort of narrative of our age is is, is sort of sustainability, and I know. 
there are event planners who have been talking about sustainability for 20 years and it only it's only really been taken seriously perhaps over the last few years where are we on the the journey of DEI are we near the beginning are we near the middle are we further on than that what, what are your what are your thoughts on that I think holistically um, I think holistically we're somewhere between the beginning and the middle I think mm-hmm. that um, there are some organizations and some associations out there who have um, been addressing this for years right um, it, this is you know the the big I call it the big DE&I boom happened back in 2020 with the killing of George Floyd here in the United mm-hmm. States. And then all of a sudden, everybody was concerned about DE&I. Um, so I think that for some, they're right at the beginning. Um, and for some, they're well they're well along this journey. They know what to do, how to do it, who to involve. Um, but I think holistically, we're, we, we've still got a ways to go. Um, we still need to um, kind of get past the diversity piece. Um, The equity and the inclusion piece are the hard parts. Um, Those are the parts where um, that really require us to dig in and be very honest about where we stand with equity and inclusion. And in some cases, even diversity. Um, And for those who are willing to do the work, um, it's a, it's a, it's a good journey to be on for those who are not. Um, it's a painful journey to be on because people aren't going to stop saying um, you need to focus on DE&I and what are you doing about X, Y, and Z issue. Um, so, so I, I think we still have some, some, some runway before we can get mm. to a point where we can say, okay, we're really starting to get it now. Um, and it's got to be a painful be journey. It's a painful journey because people it requires unlike um, other sort of external uh, crises, DEI requires a bit of self-examination, doesn't it? It requires you to look in the mirror, to do a bit of soul-searching and examine your own biases and prejudices, and that's that's not always easy for some people, is it? Exactly, exactly. Um, you know, one of the one of the things that I always that I always bring up is that you know, as a black woman building community, my lens tends to be very focused on people of color and women. Um, and so what that might do is cause me to miss the larger DE&I lens when I am building out community experiences, thinking about strategy, advising others. And so I have to be very, very cognizant of that. And I know that that could be a blind spot for me. And if I don't pay attention to it, um, it could certainly um, upend any sort of community building work that I'm trying to do. And it's the same with anyone, right? Um, we may have certain privileges. We may have certain things that we are holding on to that are our own biases that can really kind of prevent us from doing any sort of um, meaningful forward movement um, when it comes to DE&I and, you know, in, in associations. And so we've got to be cognizant of that. And if we're not, if we just choose to say, well, oh, I don't see color or I don't see, you know, disability or I don't see this, so you, you are effectively denying the fact that those things exist and then you can't address them. And so you, you have to be willing to understand that you come with bias, even if you think you don't. Uh, figuring out what that is and then making sure you get it you get out of the way so that you can do the work that needs to be done and all of this matters let's just remind ourselves why it matters it, it, it matters because if you're an internet well it matters because there's a moral 
perspective here. And I don't think we should shy away from that. People sort of always try to leap the business. But there is a business case as well. And that, and that is that if you're an international association, you're missing out on a lot of content, a lot of input, a richness of experience. If you if you don't take this seriously, you're, you're, you're basically looking, you know, you're in a silo of experience in a sense. Yeah, and and at the end of the day, um, your your kind of goal as an association is to serve people, um, and and people people aren't just a segment in your marketing strategy. People aren't just personas that you build to ensure that you're creating the right products and services. These folks come with feelings and experiences and complexities that need to be taken into consideration when you are thinking about. You know what does a good experience with our association looks like look like regardless of whether that's at an event or in an online space or what have you um you 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 can't you can't deny the fact that there's such complexity there that you you can ignore it and you can't you have to be able to to be thinking um holistically about who these people are, what challenges they might be facing, what needs they might have, and then how do you make sure that they feel a sense of belonging as part of your association? There's a reason that they joined. Are you tapping into that reason? And are you making sure that they feel included and seen? And that at the end of the day, I think is one of the main charges of an association, um, aside from collecting membership dues, aside from having an event, aside from, you know, all of the things that are in your association governance documentation, at the end of the day, people are what make up your association. How are you effectively serving them and making sure that they feel included? Marjorie, thanks very much for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. It was a great conversation.